0: and teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Amen. Thanks, Eric. What a great introduction. The only better introduction I ever got is when the guy got sick and I got to introduce myself. So, uh, 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, um, Most of you are very familiar with the story of Elijah. I don't need to give you the backstory or read the whole thing, but it's all about victory. It's about the victory over the prophets of Baal. It's about victory over King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And uh, so the the title of our talk this morning um, is, When Does God Give Victory? What elements can we find from Elijah's experience on Mount Carmel that would lead us to uh, every day having victory in, in, you know, the different crises we have. Uh, I had a seminary professor one time that said there are only two types of married men. There are those who admit they have problems in their marriage and work on them, and there are men who lie. So, I mean, we all need victory in our relationships. We need victory in our finances. We need victory... Uh, you know, in in, uh, in business. And so when does God give the victory? Bruce Wilkinson once said, the walk through the Bible, prayer of Jabez fame. Bruce Wilkinson once said, on an average Sunday, 72% of the worshipers in a typical evangelical church say they are in need of revival. So another way of saying is, when does God give revival? When, when does God grant revival in our lives? When uh, you go on a trip to uh, Israel, uh, typically Mount Carmel is one of the uh, destinations you want to you see, and uh, uh, up on top of Mount Carmel, it's not a huge mountain, but up on top of Mount Carmel is the statue of Elijah, sword in hand, slaying the prophets of Baal, and the quotation and the monument is from the passage that we're looking for. It's not an imposing mountain. It's about eighteen hundred feet elevation. It was not even going to be noticed in the Rockies or even the Smoky Mountains, but it is uh, also Carmel is used to refer to the ridge that starts at the Mediterranean Sea and then and then uh, has the, the topmost point at what we t- typically say is is Mount Carmel. Carmel. It's often been looked at a holy place. There are G- Egyptian references dating back to fifteen hundred BC in which uh, pilgrims came to this place to, you know, quote, meet the gods. Uh, Pythagoras, if you're into geometry, the Pythagorean theory, Pythagoras from Greece visited this because of its alleged spirituality on this mountain. As you stand near this mountain, there's a viewing, uh, as you stand near this uh, uh, statue, there's a viewing platform that allows you to see the Jezreel Valley. There's a Uh, Israeli Defense Forces, Air Force Base down there. It's clearly visible. Um, Napoleon once described this valley, the Jezreel Valley that provides kind of the access way between two large uh, uh, mountain ranges, uh, large for that area. Uh, He once described it as reportedly as the most natural battlefield he had ever seen. And some historic battles had been fought on Jezreel, and there's one yet to come because oftentimes the valley of Jezreel is referred to by an ancient town that was near there, Megiddo. So reportedly the battle of Armageddon will be fought right at the base of Mount Carmel. There's also a Carmelite monastery uh, named for the mountain uh, Roman Catholic order that's become very, very prominent. So when does God give the victory? Well, the first step that I find in Elijah's life is when we follow uh, His uh, plan. We 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 when we uh, when we follow His plan. Um, I think I hope your notes are right on this. Um, uh, yeah, there it is. When we follow His plan, uh, this okay. When we o- obey His word. Uh, Elijah was obedient to all god's instructions. Does your first point say obey his word uh, it should what what does your listening guide say? okay fill in his blank and what does the what does the uh, what does it say God gives the victory when we yeah 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 thank you so much uh, um, yeah so it should say follow his plan. He was obedient to all God's instructions. Uh, God told him in 17.3, go to the brook Cherith. He went to the brook Cherith. There the the ravens fed him. Uh, They said they gave him uh, bread and meat. So he got Big Macs at the brook Cherith. Um, Then he was told to go from the brook Cherith. When the brook Cherith dried up, he was told to go to the widow. And you remember the widow that uh, took him in. Uh, My parents actually had a guest room. It was kind of put in the back of our upper attic, and they literally called it the prophet's chamber, and oftentimes visiting pastors would come into town uh, wanting a place to stay, and that's where, as, as I grew up, that was known as the prophet's chamber. No one else stayed there. That's where visiting pastors stayed, and it came out of this passage where the widow put Elijah in the prophet's chamber And then uh, in 18.1, he said, uh, God said to go show yourself to King Ahab, which was not a uh, a popular thing to do right then for a prophet who had declared a drought in the nation of Israel, and for three and a half years it hadn't rained. So God gives victory when we obey his word. When we obey his word uh, should go in that first blank. God spoke to Elijah. God listened to Elijah because Elijah listened to God. God uh, listened to God. Now, uh, Elijah. Uh, yeah, I just got my my notes mixed up here. Um, Joe Paterno, back in the days when he was actually popular before they took down his statue, said that the typical football fan will criticize one eighteen-year-old throwing a pass. 50 yards downfield to another 18-year-old, when it's incomplete, uh, he, will, he will say, what on earth was he thinking? And that same football fan will go out into the parking lot and not be able to find his car. Um, <laughs> Bud Wilkinson once said of football that um, it is 70,000 people desperately in need of exercise looking at 22 men desperately in need of rest. There are three things I see in obeying God's word. Number one is, is we need concentration on his word. We need single-mindedness. Matthew 6.33 said, uh, seek first the kingdom of God. Sometimes we identify that in terms of passion, that we have a passion to follow to, to obey God's word. Um, today, we're, we're looking toward Easter, the ultimate symbol of obedience, Jesus Christ, obedient even to death on the cross. Tonight here at our church, we'll have a broken for you service. If you don't normally attend First Baptist but have no plans tonight, it's at 7 o'clock. It's really one of the unique services of the year in which we uh, look forward to Easter, prepare our hearts to Easter, have the Lord's Supper together. You're certainly invited to join us there. But concentrating on God's word... um, I think secondly, we need clear hearing. Uh, I think uh, Moody once said that our ears are stopped up by sin and we're we're not really hearing God, and so we don't obey his word because we don't hear his word. Spurgeon talked about a guy that came in to hear him at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, and uh, the guy was to say resistant would be an understatement. He literally put his fingers in his ears so that, spurgeon would see that he was not listening and spurgeon said god sent an insect to light on his nose and and when he could not stand it any longer he took the finger out of his ear to brush the in the insect off and spurgeon said he that hath ears let him hear to what the spirit speaks the guy was (laughs) captivated listened to the rest of the message and gave his heart to christ Oftentimes, God is speaking to us. He's telling us just as clearly as he told uh, Elijah to do these things, and yet we're not hearing. And and then sometimes it's because we're simply not close. And we have to remind ourselves, if we don't feel close to God, it's not because God moved. There's something about us that has drawn away from God. I remember the story of the preacher that went to the wayward church member's home, uh, and she hadn't been to church in a long, long time. And, and he said, uh, well, madam, do you have a Bible? And she said, of course, I've got a Bible. She yells in the back room. She says, honey, bring that old book that mommy loves to read so much. And the kid brought the J.C. JCPenney catalog. Uh, so sometimes we complain that God is afar, but it's really us who's moved. So we need to obey His Word. That's, that's uh, the, the first blank. God gives victory when we are obedient to Him. Obedient in knowing what we do. Uh, obedient in the known things that God has revealed to us and He will share with us then the unknown things. Secondly, God gives victory when we follow His plan. When we follow His plan. Uh, going to the, to the end, you know, begin with the end in mind when he is getting ready to call down fire on the sacrifice, he makes an interesting statement in chapter 18:35, the second part of that verse. He said, let them know, let this be a testimony to all these people assembled here that I have done all these things at your word. That was an interesting plan. We're going to get into some of the things in, in the third point about how unusual this plan was. But can you imagine... At the brook Cherith, we assume God revealed this plan to Elijah. God had to reveal the plan because Elijah said, I've done all these at your work. This wasn't my idea. I did all this because you told me to. And, and the plan was characterized, first of all, because it was logical. I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to go to the center of Baal worship Call down fire out of a cloudless sky to a soaked sacrifice surrounded by 450 enemy prophets. Who wouldn't want to do that? Doesn't that seem logical to you? No, it was logical to God. And there are certain things God asks you to do that aren't logical to you, but they're logical to Him. Uh, for instance, living on 90% of your income rather than 100%. Tithing. Um, I heard about uh, three clerical types discussing how they gave money to God, discussing generosity. One said, you know, I, I, I think tithing is just Old Testament. So what I do is, is draw a circle on the ground and I cash my check into small denominational bills. I throw it into the air and what lands in the circle is God's and what lands outside the circle is mine. The second one said, you know, I I understand that. The the Baptist was first. The Methodist was second. He said, I do the circle, small denominational bills, but I'm much more generous. I throw all my money in the air, and what lands in the circle is mine, and what lands outside the circle is God's. To which the Jewish rabbi said, circle, schmerkle. I throw my money in the air, and God can keep what he wants. Uh, Sometimes sometimes the plan as proposed in scripture is not logical to us and I I have found a brand of Christianity that if they cannot make sense of it then they think that's not God's will for them but I think you've got to take God's word at its word and understand there's certain things dying to yourself Self-discipline, self-denial, getting up in the morning in a rainstorm and coming to a Bible study. That's not logical to most people, but that's very logical to God. The second thing is God plans for the long term. God plans for the long term. I can imagine Elijah was really happy, self-satisfied when he's sitting by the brook Cherith and the ravens are bringing Big Macs to him every day. He's safe. He's well-fed. He's taken care of. Life is good. And then one day, as we read in chapter 17, the brook dries up. Where are you with God when the brook dries up? As long as everything's coming along and you've got all the resources you need, things are good. God is happy with me. But when the brook dries up, you see, Elijah would have been a lot more prone to stay there at the brook as long as he was satisfied. And oftentimes we want to stay in the safe place, stay where things are going well. We don't want to risk. We don't want to get outside our comfort zone, if you will. But when the brook dried up, then God immediately said, now, Elijah, go to King Ahab. Now, King Ahab had a bounty on Elijah's head. When Elijah goes to King Ahab, it wasn't, hi, how are you doing? It's, are you the one that troubles Israel? That was his greeting to Elijah. In fact, Ahab was the one that troubled Israel. Jezebel was the one that troubled Israel. But he greeted uh, Elijah in those terms. So understand that God's plan doesn't always make sense to us and it's not always in in what we think of as our best interest in the short term. Many times he has to ruffle our nest, so to speak, to get us outside our comfort zone to go on to what we want to do. But I submit to you, There cannot be a Carmel experience without a Cherith experience. Unless you're willing to trust God, even when the brook dries up, you'll not have that great victory on Carmel. And then finally, God's plan always lifts the glory to God. It's always going to give Him the glory. Oftentimes in Scripture, Jesus is known as the cornerstone. Peter, before the Sanhedrin, said this, Stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, there's a lot of things about the cornerstone in terms of foundation, you know, the building being right, and all that sort of thing. But the thing you probably recognize about the cornerstone is it's the thing that gets the etching. It's the one that says, you know, in the ear of our Lord, A.D. 1960, you know, uh, grand high Bah commissioned this building and so the cornerstone is the one that draws everyone's attention it's the one that everybody looks at reads it is the signal stone in the entire building the cornerstone that's jesus and jesus is going to use a plan for your life that gives him the glory now we look at elijah we look at him calling down fire but we understand as we'll get into our third point that uh it was a a miracle of god He asked the question at the beginning of chapter 18 of the people when they assemble on Mount Carmel for this God contest. He says, how long will you halt between two opinions? It's an interesting Hebrew word there because it's sometimes used to describe a pagan dance where they hopped on one foot and then hopped on the other foot. And the idea is you are partaking in Baal worship and yet you say you give allegiance to uh, Jehovah. That halting between two opinions is also a word that describes being a cripple, not being at your full maximum potential. It is is the opposite of what Paul says of laying aside every burden. And and so uh, following God's plan means being all in. It, It means that we are not playing the world's game and God's game. We are all into his game. Uh, Aesop gives the story of the donkey who starved between two piles of hay because he could not decide which one to eat from. And I think many Christians are in the position of that donkey today. They, they want to follow the world's mantra. They want to follow the world's logic. They want to follow the world's plan. And yet they understand God has a plan that they should be drawn to as well. Um, God gives victory when we follow His plan. Probably the most interesting thing of in the account is the third point. God gives victory when we trust His instructions, when we trust His instructions or trust His word. Uh, I, I've given you several different indications of Elijah's trust. Let me just go over those real quickly for point of the, of the podcast. Uh, first of all, as I mentioned, they chose a hostile site. Uh, Again, it hadn't rained in three and a half years. Mount Carmel was a known center of Baal worship. Secondly, he was outnumbered 450 to 1. Interestingly enough, if you go back into the text, you realize that he invited 400 other prophets of the grove. So he really, the, the call went out to 850 prophets. Only 450 showed up. Uh, so it's a reminder that might doesn't make right. I get tickled, it, you know, especially in the political season, they'll assemble these focus groups, and they say, 18 think this, and 4 think this. And I'm thinking to myself, so what? Doesn't matter, you know, that's the, 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 the fallacy of democracy. A lot of people feel like they have to take democracy into a church. No, we're not a democracy here. We're a theocracy. And if we ever cast a vote, whether it's on a committee or a church business meeting or wherever, if we ever cast a vote without seeking, what does God want me to do, then we are in error. He was outnumbered 450 to 1. Uh, Thirdly, he let them choose the first sacrifice. You know, there are certain logs when you're trying to start a fire that are match light. You don't have to so. you know, they just... So he said, either one of these heifers look like they're going to light up, you guys choose. He let them go first. Um, Now, Juan, a very successful basketball coach in in Northern California, uh, you know that in certain skill competitions, there's a tremendous advantage to going first. And in this case, you can really underline that because you can imagine that with 450 prophets of Baal all calling for fire, had their heifer lighted up, Elijah would have never gotten a chance. Elijah had to feel in his soul that God was going to give him the victory. And there's a persistent tradition, as I put in your notes, that a Baal priest actually suffocated underneath a heifer trying to light it from the bottom. So these guys didn't play fair. Uh, Fifthly, uh, he chose a medium that favored Baal. Uh, Baal, in, in ancient inscriptions, was often depicted with a lightning bolt in his hand. He was known as the God of the heavens. Uh, this morning, many of you woke up to a lightning bolt uh, experience. My dog hates thunder. My dog was terrified this morning. If he could have surgically grafted himself to my side, he would have. (laughs) He didn't get two steps from me while I was getting ready this morning. And and lightning is a frightening thing to all of us. You know, we hear occasionally of people being struck by lightning. And you can imagine to ancient peoples having those big flashes of lightning go through the sky. It's power its dominance, it's obviously coming from heaven. And this was Baal's bailiwick, if you will. This was the thing that Baal did well, was to call down lightning out of heaven. I mean, if I'm going to challenge, you know, Michael Jordan to a contest, it ain't going to be basketball. In fact, there are not many things I challenge Michael Jordan to a contest. (laughs) But, you know, you don't take their specialty. You try to get some sort of neutral ground. But he literally chose a medium. That favored Baal. Another thing that interests me, just having played church league sports all my life, he mocked the Baalites. He mocked them. He said, "What's? I mean, these guys were out there frenzied, cutting themselves. They, they were yelling. They were screaming. They were doing their pagan dances from the morning till the evening. They were out there all day long putting on their show. And, and Elijah's sitting over there, you know, under the juniper tree, so to speak, kind of relaxed and, and hey, guys, what's the matter? Bail going on a trip, did he? Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to call louder. Literally, at one point in the Hebrew, he says, maybe he took a bathroom break. So, I mean, he's really digging these guys. And, and again, in athletic competition, you know, don't, don't stir them up more, these guys have got knives. These guys are very involved in blood sport they're, they're This is a, a life and death thing to them and he's over there mocking them um, the The Baalites cutting themselves it was uh, supposedly to it was kind of like many sacrifices, getting the air of baal kind of sacrifice light then uh, amazingly uh, in, in verse thirty five um At the time of the offering of the evening, uh, back back up to 35. So, after the Baalites had done all their thing, uh, verse 32, he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water, Pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Now, we don't know exactly where this was taking place, but we know the brook, the stream, the, the well was down the hill. Now, if you've ever carried water up a hill, you, you know that this is a, a chore. So, he sent these people down the hill to get water. Now, listen to the, the narrative. He says, Fill four water parts with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said a second time and then they did it a second time and then he said a third time and I'm sure the water carriers are going okay oh we get the point you know no more running down to the brook we're we're tired of drawing and fetching water (coughs) excuse me and he did it a third time so the water ran all around the altar he even filled the trench with water now I was an RA, I wasn't a Boy Scout, but I do know that you want dry wood if you're going to start a fire. You don't want soaked wood. But Elijah was obviously making a point of his trust in God, so he soaked the sacrifice. And then it's not intrinsic in the passage, but it certainly implied that there was no means of escape. If there were 450 prophets of Baal, they all had knives. Even though they had not called down fire, had he not called down fire, maybe on the first request, they could have attacked him and killed him, and I doubt the people would have would have uh, would have mattered so so Elijah knew the deck was really stacked against him, but all of these things were the the reasons that they were all indications of his trust in god we We face Easter uh, this coming Sunday we celebrate easter, and it's it 's a reminder of of the choice that people have to make. Uh, As a highly educated atheist, Holly Ordway thought Christianity was, quote, a blemish on modern civilization. She admittedly knew nothing about Christianity, but she mocked Christians and thought the Bible was a book of myths and folktales. She had buttressed herself behind atheism, but eventually came to realize her worldview was inadequate to coherently explain creation, life, and morality. Through a series of conversations with a respected mentor and an open-minded Christian writings, Holly Ordway came to believe Christianity is based on historical reality. She saw that faith in Christ offers and provides real answers to life. She accepted Jesus as her Savior. Looking back over her journey in truth, Holly states, Really? It doesn't matter whether we like Christianity or not. What matters is it true. And that's the single fact of Easter. Is it true? Is it true? Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if it's true, then it ratifies everything else that's in the Bible. If it's not true, we are of all people the most miserable. Um, Moody made the point of trusting God completely uh, when he said, some people want to take halfway measures with their trust for Jesus Christ. They, they want to show up on Sunday and be seen but not get carried away with it during the week. Moody said that's about as silly as taking a check halfway to the banking expecting it to cash. You know, you've got to follow through 100% and completely. And when we uh, obey God's word follow God's plan, trust God's word, then in His own timing, God gives the victory. Verse 38, chapter 18, 1 Kings. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust. Do you know how hot fire has to be to consume stones and dust? And it licked up the water that was in the trench. So a moment of prayer in verse 36 produced more than a full day of frenzied activity. That's a lesson for us men. A moment of prayer, trust in God, following His plan, produced more than a day of frenzied activity. The victory provided a sweeping revival in Israel uh, in verses 39 and 40. And that's the statue of Elijah with the sword striking down the prophets of Baal. Robert Smith is a known uh, consultant to the stars. He's, he's written a book called 20,000 Days. He, he's kind of a life coach that's gained some fame. Uh, New York Times described Robert Smith as one of the most influential uh, people in America. Robert Smith had this to say about life. He said, in, in life, uh, you only have um, two choices, All life can be boiled down to two choices. Yes or no. Yes or no. You you look at decisions that you have to face today. You look at temptations that you face. You look at Easter and choosing the historical revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes or no. He goes on to say a second thing. He said, Your life will take place whether you have a plan or not. So... Have a plan. I submit to you that the plan outlined in Elijah's life and the plan outlined in God's Word is very, very simple. That is obedience, obey His commands. The old song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Uh, Then follow God's plan. It doesn't always have to make sense to you. But if God says it in His Word, the old saying was, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know what? Whether I believe it or not doesn't really matter. If God says it, that settles it and should settle it in your heart. And then uh, you 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 obey God's Word, follow God's plan, trust His Spirit to work. And this is a, a thing that uh, I struggle with probably more than anything I I'm a uh, kind of a bottom line kind of guy, very analytical, very process oriented. And uh, Brother brother Greg, uh, Pastor Greg, is a tremendous man of faith. God's really given him the spirit of faith. And sometimes in a staff meeting, we'll look over the facts on the ground, so to speak. And he says, gentlemen, let's get on our knees and pray because this is a moment where we have to trust God to come through for us. You know, we are lost without His his... And that faith really, um, I don't know, it's really inspiring to me because um, trusting God's Word, going out on a limb, going all in for what His plan is. I mean, you have to be convinced this is His plan, but to go all in is what God really honors. More than once in the Bible, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let us be, then, men of faith. I want you uh, in your groups around your table to talk about a couple of things today. One would be, uh, what is an area in your own life where you feel God really needs to provide victory? I mean, if God doesn't show up, you're, you're in, a, you're in a, a hurt, whether it's a world of hurt or not, but, but you need God to show up in a specific area of your life. Uh, and then, as the Holy Spirit leads you in this, What is God saying to you that you need to follow? What point of obedience is there that relates to this area where you need victory? Perhaps it's a thing you're struggling with and you just need the men in your group to pray for you. Perhaps it's something that you're following right now and they can pray that you'll have the the faith and trust to follow through with that. But where do you need victory and what is God telling you that you need to do to, to, to achieve that? Let's pray. And then, Eric, if you need to get further instructions, go ahead. Father, thank you so much for this group of men that uh, came out early on a stormy, stormy morning to follow you. Father, give us faith. Give us trust. Let us be Elijah that when we're outnumbered 450 to 1, we can sit over relaxed and mock the enemy and say, God will come through. Let us see that victory in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. We are chosen generation. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6 30 a.m. in the garden room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at WarriorsHeart.org. That's WarriorsHeart.org. Have a great day.